Hi, I'm Tyra G, your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yes, you. Fearsome and generous, humble and honest, in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. Every week we meet at the table and spend an hour experiencing, educating, encouraging, and empowering each other through our joys and our lessons learned. We share topics that tradition tells us there's some things that you just don't talk about. But here at this table, we live beyond judgment and we live beyond the wreckage. We share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for far too long. Every week, we start right where we are. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. The only requirement is that you engage authentically, dressed in your inner awesome and believing in possible. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we're webcast, webcast worldwide every Saturday night at 8 o'clock on www.radiofairfax.org. Should you miss us, I know it's date night. No worries. You can catch us on our YouTube channel, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G, or where you listen to your podcast. And for those of you who love to send me those notes offline, I love receiving them. Do so at Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our theme song. And most especially because he named it, I'm Listening. Today we will create our common thought space for our time together with a quote from life coaches, Mark and Angel. And I quote, how we see ourselves is who we become. As human beings, the story we subconsciously tell ourselves about our circumstances, about others, and about life in general drastically changes how we feel. If the stories are positive, we tend to feel good. If the stories are negative, we tend to lose hope. Of course, there's a lot more to feeling good than just thinking positive. The details of your present reality matter, and they make a difference. But generally speaking, you're not going to have a good day if you're hell-bent on telling yourself otherwise. The stories we tell ourselves don't just change how we feel. They actually change what we see, what we experience, what we know to be true. The key is to remember that perspective is everything. In a way, the stories we tell ourselves narrow our perspective. When we enter an experience with a story about how life is, that tends to be all we see. 
Something similar happens through our wide-ranging, different past experiences. Some of us have been deeply heartbroken. Some of us have lost our parents, our siblings, our children to accidents and illnesses. Some of us have dealt with infidelity. Some of us have been fired from jobs we relied on. Some of us have been discriminated against because of our gender or race. And when we enter a new experience that arouses prominent memories from our own painful story from the past, it shifts our perspective in the present. It narrows it. When a negative past experience narrows our present perspective, it's mostly just a defense mechanism. Every day of our lives, we are presented with some level of uncertainty. And our innate human defense mechanisms don't like this one bit. So our minds try to compensate by filling in the gaps of information, by clinging to the stories we already feel comfortable with. We end up subconsciously trying to make better sense of everything in the present by using old stories and past experiences as filler. And while we approach work, excuse me, and while this approach works, other times old stories and past experiences are completely irrelevant to the present moment. So they end up hurting us more than they help. And since our old stories and our past experiences now exist entirely in our minds, we have to change how we think about them. We have to think better about them so we can ultimately live better going forward. But of course, that's so much easier said than done. End quote. Those of you who listen regularly know that I am a proponent of learning how to separate our circumstances, the things that are happening to us, from the people, the person we were created to be. My guest today lives in a space where she's come to look at and understand into and beyond the concepts I just quoted. You will hear about and feel her passion to be a waymaker in lives where others struggle to move away from stuck, out of an unhealthy no longer, and into a not yet full of promise. The organization featured this evening is not new to Frankly Speaking. They always leave a huge positive footprint about survival and hope. Tonight is no different. Welcome, Abigail Brocker, to Frankly Speaking. Thank you. And Abigail is well aware that she is now about to enter the place of a human, assume the identity of a human library book. She's going to tell you what you might see on the first page in the introduction that will make you understand her better and make you want to read her story further. Abigail. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm Abigail. Thank you for having me, Tyra. This oh, I'm so special. happy you're here. Thanks. 
Um, so I, I live in this area, um, Fairfax area. I live in D.C. actually, but work in the area. And I, I think that my path that I'm on right now is really centered around um, learning how my story impacts how I see other people and trying to make a way for other people's stories to be told. So I grew up in a pretty homogenous community. It was very middle class. Um, it just, there weren't a lot of people different from me, I guess we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, it was it was a beautiful upbringing, but I think there were a lot of things I didn't understand that I didn't even know I didn't know. Okay. Um, and so looking at what I do now, I'm the, um, I work in communications for Second Story, and I get to work with young people, and, um, and you know, I do the podcast, I get to bring their stories to light. I mean, we'll say 10 years ago, I didn't even know that a job like mine was necessary, um, which now in the work I'm in now just blows my mind that I could have, that there are people who live in that kind of space. But I moved after college, and I moved to a community that was very similar to the one I grew up in, Mm -hmm. very middle class, um, you know, a lot of families, decent schools, but not a lot of diversity, not a lot of, um, yeah, not a lot of, we'll say, what seemed like poverty or struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started working for an organization a lot like Second Story, and I realized that in my backyard were young people who are homeless, pregnant and parenting young moms who were totally without support, a lot of poverty. And um, I just, I realized that in my little bubble, I would never know they existed. Mm. And it really humbled me. It made me have to see that that existed where I grew up too. And it exists where we live now, the second wealthiest county in the United States. And it was just really a, a blindness of not having to know it existed. Um, and once I realized that those kind of issues were out there, it was really empowering and really, um, it made me feel like I needed to do something. Did you feel anxious about the fact, uh, you were, your experiences were so different, how you would be able to connect with that population? And I still do. Okay. Um, because it is really different and Mm -hmm. I think it just needs to be approached with humility and I find, especially like with the podcast, I just try to ask a lot of questions and realize that just because our experiences are so different doesn't mean that we don't still have a lot in common and that we don't have so much to learn from each other. Yes. But yeah, especially at first, I think it's improved. But at first there was a lot of anxiety and that really um, I had resistance to working in this field at first because I just didn't get it. I, I was scared. And and I think that's so important for our listeners to understand because many of them walk the same walk you described. Mm -hmm. And uh, with a 24-7 news cycle, communication cycle, with social media, uh, we seem to have a greater percentage of the things that uh, are outside of our experiences and the negative things Mm -hmm. that are outside of our experiences that... uh, it takes a big heart and a kind spirit, even in fear, because to me, what you just said to me, what you described to me is courage, mm. because you were scared. It was new. You didn't know it existed. And yeah. yet you stepped into that space. 
Yeah, and it's been so rewarding. Yeah. I mean, it is so rewarding. I think really what I feel most passionate about in this space is empowering people to tell their own stories. Okay. Um, so, you know, for a second story, for example, if a young person has walked a really hard road. Right, right, right. Um, Stop and put a, a comma there, and I know we're going to listen to a wonderful podcast, but yeah. just briefly, because you said second story two or three times, yeah. help our listeners understand what that is. Yes. So second story, we're an organization based here in Northern Virginia, and we work with homeless youth and youth in crisis. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. And, and what... Now putting together what Abigail said, we live in the second richest county in the United States. And I used to work uh, for the um, county and heard one of our supervisors say she did not know that we had homelessness here until yes. one morning when she was on her run. She stumbled on a homeless com uh, people who were in a community of people who were homeless. Yeah. It's so common. I mean, yes. it's really common. I think there needs to be a level of empathy for that. I think there's been a part of me that's been like, how did I not know? What, was I not looking? Was I not listening? Was I, you know, really just, um, I don't know. But but I think there has to be a level of empathy that we we need to be able to understand that once once you know, you should feel obligated to do something, but we can't shame each other ourselves for not knowing because you don't know what you don't know. And I, I appreciate you using that word, uh, shame, because guilt and shame, guilt can be used as a motivator. Yeah. You can change behavior, but shame tends to separate us from a solution because yeah. we think we are the problem yeah. and we're not. Yeah. And, and some of the things we forget about is People who are homeless are homeless because they don't have affordable housing yeah. or because they have mental health issues or because they don't know how. There's right. so many circumstances that can land them there. Yeah. And how often when we clean up or take out, take off the outer layer of what we see, yeah. talent, intelligence, yes. lack of guidance, yes. hunger to love, yeah. compassion, uh, but we don't often talk about and, and when we, we just said it just now, people who are homeless, people first yes. language, yes. not homeless people. Yes. It's a condition. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be a permanent condition. And I think that's what you're talking about. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And, and there is so much. I mean, I think this is a big part of your podcast, no, your radio show, your podcast. I always think in terms of podcasts. It's okay. Language, <laughs> language is, is good. It's good. Yeah. But, but that there's so much value. There's no less, going back to what I was saying about storytelling, there's no less value in their story than there is in my story or in the most important person in the room's story. Yes. And so often these young people have been told by someone close to them, your dreams don't matter, your story doesn't count. Yes. You're, you're not worth something. And my favorite thing that I get to do in my job is to be able to look at them and say, I wanna, we want to hear your story. You know, we, we place value on your experience and your story, and it's worth something. You have something to be proud of. What do they say when you do that? I mean, at first, sometimes there's a lot of fear okay. and a lot of shame. Going uh -huh. back to what we've been talking about, it's hard to talk about those things. Yes, It's yes. hard for especially a young person to admit that they were homeless. Yes. So there's a lot of that. Um, but most of the time, uh -huh. especially by the time we're finished, you know, if they get up the guts to tell their story, because it is a scary thing to do. Yes. There's a lot of gratitude that that opportunity was given to them. 
And that's such a big part of what we do is giving young people opportunities. But I think some of those intangible opportunities are just as valuable. The opportunity to tell their story, the opportunity to pursue their dreams. There's a lot of gratitude, and I think there's a lot of um, dignity and self-respect in finally having the opportunity to say, though it was hard, though it was maybe traumatic, mm-hmm. it brought me to where I am, and I can be proud of where I am. Absolutely, and and beginning to see their lives as a journey, yeah, a process and not an event yeah. that defines them. Yeah. So it gives them an opportunity to grow, to change, and to make mistakes. Yes. And yeah. recover. Yep. And and so I think um, some of the stories they bring with them to a place called Second Story, they have residue of tapes in their head yeah. of what people have said to them, what they've said to themselves that reposition them to yes. feeling unsuccessful. Yes. So, I, you know, I'm... I'm thrilled that Second Story exists. Um, the podcast that we're going to share, and, and first of all, quickly tell us, how did we get, podcasts were not a normal thing <laughs> when you came to Second Story. I happen to no, know that. So yeah. how, how did it happen that you started using this as a communication vehicle? Oh, there were so many things that came into play that I could talk about, but I think the driving force was that we do have so many valuable stories to share. yes. And we were trying to think of an effective way to share them and realizing that people were really latching on to podcasts. Yes. And that longer form storytelling Mm -hmm. was such a better opportunity to get a a full story than maybe a five minute video. You know, people really only engage with, I could get into, I won't get into all the marketing strategy behind (laughs) that because it's not very interesting. But a podcast was a great opportunity to get that long form story and there were people just waiting to share and and we weren't uh, giving them the opportunity and we really wanted to. Yes. Um, and I just have to say too, I love that this is coming full circle because we were in a meeting like a year and a half ago and this seed had been planted in my head that I wanted to do this. And really just out of the blue, you Tyra were like, have you ever thought of doing a podcast? <laughs> and I want to believe that it would have happened anyway, but that really was a kick in the pants. I mean, to have someone say, you should do this. Yeah. Because no one was really saying that at the time. People were more saying like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work, but good luck. And it has been great. People have really latched onto it. And so that's really special. Now, what we have to do is broaden the network, yeah, broaden the audience. Um, I love the fact that sometimes I think communication is really social reengineering. Yes. Uh, you know, we used to infomercials yeah. creeped in, right? And yeah. now they're all over the place. Yeah. But podcasts, when you think of how many hours people spend commuting. Yes, especially doing in this a, area. Yes. yes. And and podcasts is becoming a way of life. It's like mm-hmm. somebody suddenly uh, let podcasts mist come down <laughs> over yeah. the area and everybody's like, oh I've got a podcast and there's a podcast yes. on podcasts oh yeah I mean yeah. it's amazing yeah. but what I like is the ability uh to have them categorized so depending yeah. on your interest or the yeah. genre that you like to listen to you can find what you may enjoy yeah well now we have wet the uh, imagination yeah and uh I want our community to listen with your heart I want you to listen through the lens of compassion. You're going to meet a woman who's delightful, and you're going to walk with her through a journey 
that uh, second story has played a significant part in resolving. Stay close now. You're listening to Second Stories, created and produced by Second Story, with me, Abigail Brocker, as your host. Second Story is a nonprofit based in Northern Virginia, working to provide safe havens and opportunities to grow and thrive to youth in crisis and their families. We help homeless youth and youth in crisis step away from their first story, one often marked by abuse, hardship, and crisis, and write their own second story, full of hope and promise. We are thrilled to bring you season two of our podcast. We produced season one with high hopes and the conviction that each story was worth telling. And we were so thankful for your responses. You alongside us were inspired by each person's honesty and galvanized by their experiences. Your feedback touched us and each of the interviewees. We always hoped to tell more stories and we're really excited to do that in this new season. This is Second Stories, season two. That was the first time that he physically hit me when I was pregnant. I was so heartbroken. Someone who I thought loved me and cared for me will never hurt me. There are a whole lot of systems and beliefs that many of us have had the luxury of taking for granted. The hope that our parents will nurture us and love us. The idea that if we call the police when we feel unsafe, they will come to our rescue. The assumption that there will be a village to help support us and our children. The hope that the people who claim to love us really do and will act like it even when, especially when, things get hard. A lucky few of us walk through our whole lives having these preconceived notions fulfilled. Bree, though, saw all of these things, things she thought she could count on, fall away one by one until she was desperate and lonely and afraid. But through it all, Brie was brave enough to focus on the future she dreamt of rather than the present that betrayed her. This is a story marred with heartbreak, yes, but it's more so a story of how a young woman, in the midst of hardship, chose to keep going, full of tenacity and hope. Hi, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your story. Well, thank you for the opportunity for me to share my story. I'm happy to be here. Good, thank you. You moved here when you were 14 from South Africa. What was that like moving from such a foreign place? Um, it was it was very tough. Um, well, we had no choice. We were just children at the age. Um, my mom was getting transferred to the headquarters in D.C. Um, so I moved here in September. It was right around the time um, like winter season is starting. So that just adds to the sadness. It was super depressing and just very different from what I'm used to in South Africa. The culture is different, the school system, and um, 
I left most of my family at home. Like I said, it was just me and my brother. Um, and um, the living situation my, with my mom, she was a single parent. Um, and um, I think we we were all very under a lot of stress. And um, in fact, my brother, um, he became so depressed, he tried taking his own life mm-hmm. and was unsuccessful. Yeah. Um, he has struggled with um, drug abuse and alcohol abuse. Um, just being in that living environment, coming home every day, and my mother is yelling or shouting at us and just telling us that her life would be different um, if it wasn't for us. It would, she would be able to travel and do certain things. Just made me feel um, unloved or devalued. Uh, the culture was just very different in school. High school is very tough. It's yeah, um, children can be very mean at times, especially because I'm I'm different. Um, getting picked on in school as well was just awful. Um, I just felt like I was always being beat down. Yeah, and it sounds like you were very isolated as well. Absolutely, yeah. So things sort of changed when you met this guy at a metro station, right? Can you tell us about that? Um, after high school, I got a job. I was working at a Coldstone Creamery and I uh, was on my way to work. Um, I took the public metro and um, that's where I met Marcel. And it turns out he also worked at the mall. So we saw each other frequently and um, he took me out on a date and sh- shortly afterwards we became a couple. Um, and I just missed a lot of things that I would know now are red signs. For instance, if we would have any conflicts, he would get very, very upset. Um, he would punch walls, he'd shout and scream. He just became very irate. Um, he also had a problem with lying, just telling really ridiculous stories, which were just unbelievable. I wasn't sure why. Um, he would do that, but I knew that he had a really difficult um, situation at home um, with his parents. Um, it, I know that he felt really unloved as well. His mother was abusive, and um, there was a lot of alcohol abuse, and I just felt like I could help him, that if I stayed with him and showed him love, that he would see a different way and change. Hmm. I mean, it sounds like at first you guys, I mean, you felt like you were in love. You got away from your mom, which I'm sure was a relief if home was really hard. Yeah, to find this person that makes you feel better. When did things turn right away or was there a moment later on when you were like, oh, this isn't normal. This isn't okay. I shouldn't be treated this way. Or do you feel like your self-esteem was always so low that you just, those red signs, like you said, you just didn't pick up on them ever? Yeah, I think it was a combination of things. Just um, being inexperienced, I was very young and naive. And Marcel was very, very charming. Um, he could be romantic at times, buy me roses, write poems, or sing songs to me. Um, he made me feel very loved, something that was very different from when I was at home. So I felt really special. I hadn't experienced um, this type of love before um, from a person. So... 
um, I was very forgiving when things would happen as well. I think that clouded my judgment. Um, and also just having low self-esteem as well. If things happened, I was very embarrassed to talk about it if he was upset at me. Um, so I didn't tell anyone. Um, I think I, I started to see it more after we moved in together and I was living with him. Um, we would face hardships. I started to see that he could not keep a job. Um, he was very dishonest. Um, he would get into arguments or fights with his managers and next thing he's fired. He's not um, financially stable. Um, oftentimes he needs my help even just for simple things as um um, money for transportation or getting a haircut and I felt like I was being drained um, emotionally um, and then eventually physically as well I think he um, knowing my situation at home that I wasn't very close with my mom or my brother um, he was able to like manipulate that situation and um, I fed into the lies that he was telling me that this is true about you or nobody wants you or and I just, yeah, I just didn't do well with that. I believed what he was telling me. And um, when he was abusive, I didn't do anything about it. I didn't know that, no, that's, that's wrong. Right. Never seen that. At home, my mother was very, um, when she was upset, she, her punishment was a bit overboard. I remember when I was young, um, we had a sex ed in school and they gave us samples of tampons and I left them on my bed when I came back from school. I had nothing to hide. I didn't know what it was, but she was very upset when she saw them and she grabbed me by my collar and she was choking me because she believed that um, if you're using tampons, you had lost your virginity. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where did she, why would she have thought that, do you think? I think it's just cultural in Africa. There's just certain things that sex is very taboo. We don't talk about it. And yeah, it's just old, outdated beliefs. Wow. And what a confusing thing for an American high schooler. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's so different. Yeah. Wow. Do you think that there was a small part of you when Marcel started telling you these hurtful, untrue things about you was there a part of you that had believed those things long before you met him and hearing him say them was like oh yeah I do think I'm worthless I do think all these things he's saying about me it's just that he's putting voice to these lies I've already believed about myself yes definitely I think um with my mom because as children we look up to our parents but they're like our heroes and I love my mom but she would say really hurtful things like if we did something wrong or she just had a really stressful day at work and it was taken out on us and she would say very hurtful things and I believe that because she's my mom it's the person yeah. you're supposed to be able to trust yes yeah and then how devastating that when you left that situation and tried to find something safer that's not at all what happened. Yes, it's the same. The same message. And this all happened when you were 17, 18, 19, and I know now you're mid-late 20s. This isn't the kind of thing that 
you can close the book on. You know, you still deal with these sorts of feelings and memories. The ways that they hurt you, it doesn't just go away. I mean, I, I can feel that from you talking to you. I know you know the truth, but it doesn't mean that that hurt isn't sticking with you. Yes. Thanks for sharing. Sure. I want to ask you about something that I know brings you a lot of joy, even though it was really hard at the time. Um, you got pregnant. Uh, yeah. To start uh -huh. from the beginning of that, was that scary when you found out that oh, you guys yeah. were expecting a baby? Yeah, it was very scary. I didn't think we were ready. Oh, goodness. I just remember being in Planned Parenthood. I just missed my period. And I wasn't sure. I thought it was probably just high stress because at the time, um, our living situation wasn't well. We were renting a room um, from a family. And um, I had discussions with Marcel before about us um, be coming to a better place where we're financially stable. And um, because of my immigration situation, we came in as a G4 visa. There were certain things that I, that resources that were not available to me because I wasn't a um a permanent resident or a citizen um, and I just thought well I must have missed my period because I'm under a lot of stress and then one day I decided on my way to work I'll take this test I went to CVS I took a test I actually took it in the bathroom there um, I was positive so I was really nervous um, I went to Planned Parenthood I was not sure what to do they did the sonogram and I saw the heartbeat and I was just like, this is real. I started to thinking, thinking about being a parent, and I was also very nervous. Like, I can't provide for a child. We don't, we don't make enough money. We only live in a room. I don't want to bring her into this situation. I just was like really in love with her already, and I just wanted the best life for her, something different from the experience that I had growing up. Um, and I spoke with Marcel about that, and he was just very stubborn about changing changing our life situation and seeking better. He was just stuck in his ways. He wasn't for it. But I continued to push forward. And, well, if you don't want to, I'm just going to move ahead without you. And I think he, he was intimidated by that. Me making, I was working hard, making more money than he was. I had ambition to go to school, and he didn't want me to go to college. Um, and he started stealing money from me. Because I was a server, I would come home with cash, and I would just hide it in my clothes, and I would find money is missing. Um, and that's that was the first time that he physically hit me when I was pregnant. I, I think I was in my third trimester for sure. Um, and he punched me, and I was so heartbroken. Someone who I thought loved me and cared for me will never hurt me. And he hit me, and that just like made me feel like he doesn't care about me. I'm just a punching bag where he can take his emotions out on me physically. I was just really disappointed and scared. I actually left that night, slept at a friend's house. But I came back because I was thinking about um, Myra, my daughter's, my belly, that I wanted her to have two parents in her in her life. I, I grew up a single mom. I know she struggled a lot. And I wanted her to have a different experience than I did. So I went back. I gave him a second chance. He was very apologetic. It's very nice. It was like the honeymoon phase. 
um, a few weeks later, I just get back into the same habit. So it happened again the second time is when I called the police because it was really scary. Um, he had threatened me with a knife and he had hit me. He punched me in my face and I fell and I was bleeding. Um, by this time, Myra was already born. She was in the crib when this happened. Uh, and um, he took a pillow and he put a pillow over my face. And I couldn't breathe. I was suffocating. And I was like scratching at him, anything to get him off. I called the police as soon as he left. And I thought this was me escaping. This would, that, you know, growing up, I thought that if you need help, you would call the police. But it was so disappointing when I called out for help. The policeman said that it was a he said, she said story. He didn't know what to believe. Marcel said that I had scratched him, which is true. He was on top of me and I couldn't breathe. The natural thing would be try to get him off of me. Self-defense. Exactly. And he just didn't care. And I just, I felt like I couldn't escape from the situation. If the police didn't believe me, nobody was going to help me. The only way I would leave this house is in a coffin. I would just die here. Nobody know what happened to me. I was just so disappointed. I fell into depression. I was very anxious. I would have dreams of being stuck in a prison. It was a woman's prison. Everywhere I walked in the hallways was just dead bodies. Some were hanging from trees. And I couldn't escape because there were a fence, the fences with barbed wire. And one day I climbed a tree to get on the other side. And I saw a security guard and I ran up to him for help and told him what was going on. And I thought he would help me, but he just led me right back into that prison. And I realized that it was what was happening in my real life when I went to the police and called out for help. What a powerful dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what it meant. And um, it happened again. He he hit me um, maybe about three weeks later, and I called the police, and um, it was a female officer, and she was really nice. She listened. She was understanding, and she actually gave me resources to help me. She gave me a card for a domestic violence hotline, and I called them that very same night, and I was transferred to Artemis' house, and we called a taxi to come pick us up. They grabbed a few belongings for me and my daughter, and we left, and that was the beginning of a new change. I never turned back, never saw Marcel after that. And things got better, yeah. What was that moment like when you got into the taxi, you left the home you'd been sharing with Marcel? Because you were married at the time, right? By this point, you had gotten married. What did that feel like, leaving your house? It was amazing. It was like escaping. It was freedom. Nobody's holding me back. I actually made it out. I felt so relieved. <laughs> you, I'm sure for the rest of your life, you'll never forget what that felt like. Yes. Yeah. Bri, your memories of this are so incredibly vivid. I feel like it just goes to show you don't get over this kind of stuff, right? No, it stays there, yeah. 
your word that you use when you just talk about the cop, the first cop that came and didn't do anything, you said you were disappointed. And I hear you say that, and my reaction is like, disappointed. That's such a, a gracious word. I mean, I hear that, and I'm angry. I mean, I think you know this now. I, I know you've been told this, but just for another person to say to you, that's not okay that that happened. I, I don't hear something like that and brush it off. It's not the kind of thing we should brush off. You didn't deserve that. You were not given what you needed, what you deserved by the person who was supposed to be able to give that to you. Yes, yes. Tell us more about this moment where your life finally started to change. What was it like to be at that shelter? Um, it was great, very normal. And um, I really appreciated that we also had services such as counseling for myself, uh, which really helped to bring me up again because I was very broken and my social worker just made me feel great. Like just positive um, affirmation, words of encouragement, just positive messages. She would call me her rock star because I would take I would take two buses and a train to get to work. I wake up at 4 a.m., drop my child off at daycare. Um, oh, my gosh. Take two buses and a train to work, yes, and just do it all in reverse at night. And she's like, wow, you're such a rock star. You're amazing. Yeah, that is and an I really... unheard of level of drive. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I, didn't even really, I didn't even think about it. I just had did to. What you I was just so thankful. Exactly. And I wanted to use this opportunity to just drive forward. It was like this door had opened for me. I just saw light. It was a completely new life, and I felt safe not having Marcel there. Although he would call me at the time he had my cell phone number and threaten me, but you know what? Those are just words. He has no idea where I live. I'm safe. I'm not telling him anything. It was just a new opportunity to create a different story. And then you eventually got connected with Second Story, which was more of a longer-term safe place, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it was amazing. It was, was, I'm just so happy that there was such a program, a second story. It's just incredible. I met Angel. She was the first person to greet me and she was Mm -hmm. so like happy and bubbly, just wonderful people. I've never had um, a support system behind me. People just come alongside me and they're supporting me. They want the best for me. Just incredible. And um, I really like that they had resources like diapers for your child. I didn't have to worry about childcare expense for diapers um, or any like household appliances. Um, we, we were in a very safe place in a townhouse, just um, like in a cul-de-sac. I felt very safe there. It's very quiet, secluded neighborhood. And um, it's close to the metro, so I can get to and from work very easily. Um, the grocery stores within walking distance. There's just so much that I appreciate about that place. And they also had classes. Every Monday and Tuesday, we have classes where we learn either financial literacy or um, parenting skills. Um, I know I really appreciated that um, each week we would get books for the children, so I learned to read to my child, um, which is very new because I had no background on how to raise a child. My mom was a workaholic. And I understand she's a single mom. She had to provide for us, so oftentimes she was not around. We had a a nanny who took care of us. Um, but just like taking a child to the park, or, like reading to them at night, 
helping them grow, just nurturing them. I learned a lot of those skills from Second Story. And um, they helped me to save my money as well. Um, With my income, 45% would go into an escrow account. And at the end of the term, then it would all be returned to me. Um, That helps me with my expenses when I moved to... getting an apartment for just me and my child. We were more self-sufficient then. And I actually used the money that I saved to go to school. I went to a, I took a six month program for um, dental assisting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was really great because that, that boosted my income and I was able to work just Monday through Friday and be with my daughter on weekends and do fun stuff with her. So I really appreciated that. They just, provided this safety blanket, this net to fall on and just helped me to get to the place that I wanted to be, which was never accessible because I just, it was just not reachable for me to, in my past, um, past experience with making minimum wage, I never made enough to go to school. I was living paycheck to paycheck. And in order to have a job that pays you more, you have to have education. I was just stuck. I had nowhere to go. So they really gave me an opportunity that I didn't have before. And I can say that today I'm just 14, 12 credits away from graduating from community college. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. I'm so excited. I have a 3.8 GPA. Oh my gosh. It's fantastic. (laughs) It wasn't. Thank you. Yeah. And I have to thank um, Second Story for helping me just balance Mm -hmm. life as a parent. You can do that. You can Mm -hmm. go to school. You can parent well and just manage your time wisely i learned so much from how to be a mature adult i have a 3.8 gpa i went from having no credit at all to having excellent credits i couldn't get a car i couldn't get anything nobody would trust me with anything but (laughs) yeah now i get these invitations to apply for more credit cards is that satisfying (laughs) to get one of those in the mail Yeah, they always go in the trash, though. <laughs> I know, but you get one and you realize you're doing something right. <laughs> yes, yes, they recognize me. I've made it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And you're, tell me what you're majoring in. I am majoring in business administration. And um, when I transferred to the University of Maryland, um, hopefully I make it into the Smith School of Business. I'd like to do management operations. Mm-hmm. One thing also that stands out to me that you said is some of those skills that you learn just about being a parent. I feel like there's kind of this myth that parenting just comes naturally. And once you have a child, you have all these instincts. But I think we take for granted that parenting is a learned skill. You remember how your parents parented you and you reflect that. So in your case, if you had a parent who didn't treat you the way you deserve to be treated, fed you a lot of lies, didn't invest in you. How are you to know how you're supposed to be different? Exactly. It's a cycle. Yeah, it could have been really bad if it wasn't for Second Story. I can't imagine where we would be today, what we'd be doing if I didn't have that opportunity. But I can speak to where we are now. Today, we have a house. Myra's doing really well in school. She's in a TAG program, which is Talented and Gifted Children. Yeah, she gets A's on her report card. People outside, she's very vibrant and very social. I was scared when when we were, when I was living with Marcel because some of the violence would take place and and you would see that. Um, In fact, when I, the first daycare I took her to, 
she was kicked out the first day. The lady said that Meyer was hitting other children in the face. And I was just so embarrassed because I knew like where she's picking up these habits, where she gets that. Yeah. And how different the environment you've created for her has allowed her to thrive. Yes. That's so beautiful. Absolutely. Yes. And you're doing incredible. And you just recently celebrated a wedding anniversary, right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I did. It was our second year anniversary. It's amazing. Tell me about your husband. Oh, Brian is wonderful. He's just super loving, very understanding. And I feel safe that we can have disagreements, we can have conflict, and nobody's going to throw something at me or hit me. It's just wonderful. So you're doing, I mean, now on paper, your life is beautiful. You have a husband you love. You have a daughter who's gifted and talented. It's like an American dream. You have a second daughter now too, right, (laughs) with Brian? Yes, yes. That's amazing. You have the two kids. I mean, you're Mm -hmm. in school. (laughs) If someone didn't know your story, that's everything a person could want. And yet, I know these memories for you are still really painful. You remember them and they, I know they can feel nearby. How do you live with that tension between still struggling with the way you've been hurt and also now having what you'd always hoped for? I think I just keep them, I just keep it down. Um, I don't think about it. I only um, look forward at what I have now and just I'm so thankful for where we are today. I'm trying to make the best of it. Right. So if there were someone listening who found themselves in the situation you were in, they're still stuck in an abusive relationship or maybe there are warning signs that they're ignoring what would you tell them or maybe what do you wish you could tell yourself? I wish I could have told myself that it's not true. Um, What people are saying, the people who are close to you, my mom or my boyfriend at the time, hurtful things that they're saying aren't true about me. I am loved and I'm highly favored. Um, Just remembering my value, my worth, and that people make mistakes, that there is something going on in their lives that is making them act that way and they're just taking it out on me. It's not my fault. I have nothing to do with this. It's just completely on them. Um, And to love myself, really fight for myself because I was created. I have a purpose. Um, I'm worthy. And how beautiful now that those are the things you get to tell your daughter. Yes. You get to break that cycle. Absolutely. I'm really excited for it to watch them grow, see the wonderful women that they'll become. I'm just really um, thankful for the program, Second Story. Um, They're doing amazing work, often goes unthanked. Um, But I I mean, the opportunity that they give to people to just better themselves, it's incredible. Um, Also other organizations like Artemis House as well. It's just awesome to see that there are people who are just out there caring for others who want to help people and if they're listening as all that their work they may not know where the person ends up one day but it's really helpful that opportunity they give and just building people up I'm really thankful for the counseling services I received when I was at second story I was broken and bruised 
They just nurtured me and I'm just a completely different person. I'm the best version of myself today because of the resources I received out there. That's amazing. And coming from a perspective of second story, I'm so thankful that you had the opportunity to access those resources and that support. But one of the really cool things about doing this podcast and getting to hear stories is that we can also say to someone like you, it's a real honor for people and organizations like us to get to be a part of your life. I mean, the resilience you have, the attitude you have, it's incredible. I think it's an honor to be able to provide those resources, but it's more an honor to just get to be a part of this kind of story. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm flattered and I'm grateful for you all as well. We're thankful for you. Thanks for sharing your story. <laughs> Thanks for being vulnerable. I mean, I know it is hard to remember and reflect on these things, but I really believe it's valuable, you know, as we talk about some of these injustices that you experienced we can't do anything unless we talk about them. And your story has value. It's beautiful. You're in an incredible place. I'm really thankful that you are willing to share. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm thankful. Um, I do hope that it's able to change someone's life out there or just um, people receive that, the help that they need. Um, anything that my story can um, help with, I'm very happy to share. Make a difference. Yeah, I'm certain that it will. Thank you, Bree. Thank you, Abigail. Thanks for being willing to do this. Absolutely. You have been inspired. You have been entertained. And if you're like me, you just love you some Bree. Oh, yeah. I, um, I wanted to play this before I announced my theme for this month, mm-hmm. which is, were it not for those who cared. And I think I I want to uh, have at least four more stories uh, where we're sharing stories where an intervention has occurred. And Bree said everything. I don't even need to review it. I mean, Bree is who she is today in spite of all kinds of things. But it seems like she came here with a lot of spirit and a lot of courage and a lot of strength. And I want to thank you for sharing that. And um, as you all know, I generally ask people to read a letter they write to themselves. But Abigail is going to do something even more special. Abigail is going to read a letter to other people who may be at uh, Second Story. Yeah. So I wrote this with the context of thinking of a young person just entering our program in that moment when they're thinking of their future. Dear Second Stories young people, welcome. Welcome to a new season of your life, one of growth and support and opportunity. It is truly our honor to support you during this time. Your situation up to this point has been out of your hands. We can't choose our families. We can't choose what happens to us. We can't choose our socioeconomic status or our disadvantages. If you have been abused, if you have been told your dreams aren't worth anything, If you have been denied a home or access to the opportunities you deserve, we are sorry. You are worth more than that. You deserve hope. You deserve opportunities. You deserve a safe haven to write your second story. This time will be both challenging and rewarding. You will be pushed to do things that might seem out of reach. Save a lot of money, hold down a job, become self-sufficient, 
better yourself and at times you will be frustrated and you will fail, but we believe in you. This is an amazing opportunity to set yourself up for the rest of your life. You have multiple people around you dedicated to supporting you. It may be challenging at times, but the more you confide in them, trust them and use their help, the better it will be for you. This is the beginning of your second story. The new season you get to write for yourself with the support you deserve. We can't wait to be here alongside you through this season of growth and change. Love the second story team. Abigail, quickly tell people how they can get in touch with you to continue the conversation. Yes. Uh, visit our website, www.second-story.org. If you want to listen to more podcasts, there's a podcast tab there. And if you just have questions or want to hear more about your role in this whole thing, there's a contact tab on our site. We'd love to hear from anyone. You've been listening to Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Your seat at the table is guaranteed. I look forward to next time. Promise me you will treat yourself like someone you love until then. This is Tyra, living intentionally and loving you. Bye now.